There are certain things that once experienced, there's no going back. For example, did you know that the color blue did not exist in ancient Greek times? In fact, Homer used descriptions like wine dark to describe the blue of the sea. And blue was the last of the colors to be used in English writing as well. In fact, it wasn't until 431 AD when the Catholic Church assigned blue as the saint color for Mary that the color became more widespread. Can you even imagine a world without blue? It's not to say that blue never actually existed because lots of things in nature are blue, but before having a word to call it, the ocean was simply various shades of other colors. Blue is pivotal in our language today, and once we've been introduced to it, there's no going back to a life without it. We see everything in a whole new way. Certain events in life are like that. Once you've experienced marriage, the death of a loved one, or become a parent, the life you lived before those events can be no more. There's no way to go back to the person you were pre-event. The same could be said for the forgotten author I'll be sharing with you today. He witnessed the worst possible thing a child could see. And there was no going back. I'm Vanessa K. Eccles, and this is Fabled. My heart thumped, thumped in my ears. Eyes jolting open, I pulled the blanket to my chest, having the sudden feeling of urgency, of fear. The jerk of the blanket sent something thudding to the floor. I leaned over the bed and glanced down, seeing my cherished copy of Edgar Allan Poe's short stories on the wood planks. I reached for it and pushed it on my nightstand. As soon as I turned over, I heard heavy footsteps of someone coming toward my room. I couldn't be sure what time it was, but light had not reached the sky yet, the sun still hidden behind the cover of night. I pulled the blanket higher so that only my eyes could peek above it. Maybe I was still dreaming. No one would be up at this hour. I hadn't even heard the postman knock. It wasn't morning. My heartbeat quickened as a shadow moved in the faint light beneath the door. The knob rattled, and I cringed. Conrad, it's not real. It's not real. I replayed Mother's words over and over again. She had warned me about reading Poe before bed. She didn't feel like he was appropriate reading for a boy my age. But Eleven was old enough. Besides, there could be worse things a boy my age could be doing. Nevertheless, this wasn't the first time I'd wanted to run to her room and have her fill my head with truths after reading the horrible fantasies I'd loved so much. The door opened slowly, squeaking on the old metal hinges 
Frozen, I let out one last breath, seeing the fog form from my lips. It'd been a cold winter in more ways than one. My hand shook as I held the cotton fabric, the only thing that separated me from whatever was on the other side of the door. As it opened, I closed my eyes tight, but I'd always been a curious child, so I opened them ever so slightly, just enough to see a shadow of a man standing in the doorway. I swallowed hard and closed them tight again. It isn't real. I whispered to myself. The sound of the door latching closed made me sit up. I reasoned that I really must be sleeping, and everyone knows that the only way to wake up from a dream is to wake up. Wake up! I pressed my head into the pillow and focused on steadying my heart rate. My mind couldn't help but go back to the story. Poe's words ran through my mind as if I were reading them from a page. I think it was his eye. Yes, it was this. He had the eye of a vulture, a pale blue eye with a film over it. Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold, and so by degrees, very gradually, I made up my mind to take the life of the old man and thus rid myself of the eye forever. Murmuring brought me from the story back to the house. Why are you acting this way? It was my mother's voice. But why was she awake at this hour? You ungrateful woman. This life. It's nothing, nothing, do you understand? He sounded familiar, but something was off. We have built a wonderful life, William. You must know that. Mother's words softened, and I could almost imagine her inching closer to him, her small hand on his cheek. It was always her way of calming us Aiken men. A long silence stretched. I stared at the embers growing darker and colder for what felt like ages. There was no sleeping to be had tonight. Soon enough it'd be morning, and the smell of breakfast would be leading me to the kitchen. heard a scream. One, two, three. My father's voice boomed and then something loud rang down the hall. I jumped from bed, legs running toward the door before I could even think. Another loud boom bellowed. I covered my ears. Oh, how horrible the sound. Mother! I called as I ran down the corridor and into the room they shared. Before I saw her, I saw the red splash of the damask wallpaper she'd been so happy to have installed last summer. Mother, my voice quivered. The fire in their fireplace must have just been stoked because the flames licked up the chimney and the room felt warm, impossibly warm now. I couldn't bring myself to move forward to glance on the other side of the bed. A handprint on the white curtains brought a sudden tear to my eye. I knew. I couldn't say it. I couldn't acknowledge it, but I knew. Why? I cried, the uncontrollable sobs choking me. Then another emotion, an unexpected one, rose in my chest. Where is he? 
I forced myself to be the man I thought I was and looked on the other side of the four-poster bed. Her bare feet caught my eye first. She was still wearing her white night clothes, but they were soaked now. I couldn't see her face. Her head was tilted horrifically toward the tall window where light had just started to emerge. Father's body lie next to hers, his face fully clear, eyes wide open, staring straight at me. Those awful words played through my mind again. I think it was his eye. Yes, it was this. He had the eye of a vulture, a pale blue eye with a film over it. Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold. And so by degrees, very gradually, I made up my mind to take the life of the old man and thus rid myself of the eye forever. I blinked. My whole body shook with something horror, terror, shock, anger, confusion, sadness. A marked sense of loneliness and abandonment that I'd never ceased to feel. Stop! I screamed and ran out of their room, down the dark hallway and into the garden. The freezing February air shocked my exhausted body again, making me feel even more numb and outside of myself. It's not real, Conrad. It's just a dream. Her words soothed me even now. The softness of her voice and the loving way she glanced at me. I could still see her face, green eyes and soft brown hair, twisted up, big curls resting on her neck. But just as suddenly as she emerged in my mind, the image switched to the blood-stained wallpaper, her handprint on the curtain, and the twisted way her head had fallen. I sat in the grass, dew soaking through my pajamas, and rocked myself. I couldn't be sure how long I was there, but at some point I'd convinced myself that I was still dreaming. It was the worst nightmare ever, but I'd wake up. I just needed to make myself go to sleep. If I sleep, then I'll eventually wake. Wet feet carried me back to the corridor. Their bedroom door was still open, light spilling into the hall. I inched toward my room, keeping my eyes on their door. Nothing moved. The deafening silence scared me in ways I never knew before. I closed my door, curled into my bed, and brought the blanket over my head this time. I glued my eyes closed and repeated her words over and over again, fully believing that this would soon be over. And it was nothing but a dream. Eleven-year-old Conrad Aiken witness something no child should. After finding his parents dead on the floor, his childhood, like his family, was gone. And that sudden, brutal shift would become the defining moment that would haunt him forever. Conrad Potter Aiken was the son of William Ford and Anna Potter Aiken. He was born in Savannah, Georgia in 1889. His father, William, was a prominent and respected physician and brain surgeon. 
but suddenly, without any apparent reason, became irritable and violent in the winter of 1901. Though his father chose to steal so much from young Conrad, the doctor ultimately began a lifelong search for truth and understanding in his son that would result in some amazing works of literature. Said to be the best-known unread poet of the 20th century and the buried giant of 20th century American writing by Lewis Untermeyer and Malcolm Cowley, the great William Faulkner once said, When the tide of aesthetic sterility, which is slowly engulfing us, has withdrawn, our first great poet will be left. Perhaps Aiken is the man. These quotes were a part of the introduction to Conrad Aiken in the Poet Laureate Anthology, copyrighted in 2010. He won the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry in 1930, won a National Book Award, won the National Medal for Literature, and was honored as Poet Laureate in his home state of Georgia. He served as Poetry Consultant of the Library of Congress from 1950 to 1952. That's just to name a few of his long list of accolades. Conrad Aiken was known for his difficult poetry and his belief in not conforming to commercialized expectations. He believed in living in a sort of exile where he could exercise his genius without the influence of society and the current literary giants of the day. He kept himself secluded to make sure that his art was both authentic and untouched Within his lifetime, he never wrote a bestseller. But that was not from lack of trying. He published over 50 books, and yet when I was looking for his work, I had a difficult time finding it. I was lucky enough to know that my local 1904 Carnegie Library had a lot of older books, and that's where I was able to find four that mentioned him. And sadly, only one of those was a full book by him. Others were older anthologies. After reading many of his poems and his two most popular short stories, I realized that his childhood tragedy both haunted him and made him in a way. He sings of a house he lived in long ago. It is strange, this house of dust was the house I lived in, the house you lived in, the house that all of us know. That's from his poem, House of Dust, published in 1920. I could just see him there, 11 years old, standing in shock after seeing his parents growing cold on the floor. This is from his poem, Evening Song, of Sin Lin, published in 1922. It is moonlight. The garden is silent. I stand in my room alone, across my wall, from the far-off moon, a rain a fire is thrown. Forever plagued by a fear of madness like his father, it is evident in his works. He was a huge fan of Freud and wanted desperately to understand mental health. He wanted to know his own mind. And that's not more apparent than in his first famous short story, Silent Snow, Secret Snow. In the story, a young 12-year-old boy named Paul 
begins to see snow and is so relieved that he's not awoken every morning by the mailman's footsteps because the snow has dampened them. The only problem is, it's not really snowing. But Paul's obsession with the snow, the quieting of the world around him, the dampening of all the feelings, the numbness of the cold, becomes disturbing. So much so, his mother notices that he's withdrawing from society, from their family, from school. More and more, Paul is retreating into his own little world, into this place where only the snow exists. And the snow itself is evil, in a way. The snow talks to Paul and lures him in. And Paul grows to resent the people in his life that try to keep him from the snow. He's happiest when he no longer hears the mailman's footsteps on the stoop every morning. While I was reading this, I realized that without the context of Aiken's life, the story doesn't hold a lot of interest. It's an abstract thought. What does this world of snow represent? The snow is, or could at least be argued, Aiken's own creativity, his need to exile himself from others to create. And then there are the postman's footsteps. You see, Aiken's parents died when he was 11 years old, and that was a switch for him. Paul in the story is 12 years old. Those footsteps Paul kept hearing that woke him in the early morning hours must surely resemble the steps and the sounds that woke young Conrad up in the early morning hours of his parents' death. In his autobiography, Ushant, he says, quote, After the desultory early morning quarrel came a half-stilted scream and the sound of his father's voice counting to three and the two loud pistol shots and Aiken tiptoed into the dark room where the two bodies lay motionless and apart and finding them dead found himself possessed of them forever. After his parents' death, Aiken was raised by a distant relative and sent to Harvard where he befriended T.S. Eliot. The two became lifelong friends, but Aiken's work is largely unique from his contemporaries. Many of his poems deal with death and madness, and there's always an element of fear and sadness to them. In his poem, Tetelestai, which means it is finished, he writes, the lover, the husband and father, the struggler with shadows, the one who went down under shoutings of chaos, the weakling who cried his forsaken like Christ on the darkening hilltop. This, then, is the one who implores as he dwindles to silence, a fanfare of glory. And which of us dares to deny him? His fascination with death is why I believe he had such a connection with Emily Dickinson's writing. Conrad Aiken is credited with being primarily responsible for Emily Dickinson being such a wide-known poet today. He edited her works and also wrote about her. After knowing what we know about him, and if you're familiar with Emily Dickinson's work, it's easy to make comparisons. Both commonly explore death, and both poets were reclusive. It's not difficult to understand 
why he would be drawn to such an eccentric, loner, non-conforming poet like Emily. I read an essay he wrote about her, and one of the most curious things he said about her is something I believe he must also have felt about himself. He said, quote, She seems to have thought of death constantly. She died all her life, probed death daily. He also said that death and the problem of life after death obsessed her. And he mentions that Emily Dickinson seemed to be irreverent toward God and question what will happen to us after death. I feel like Conrad must have too. In one of his poems, he talks about the old man and the shadow. The old man is afraid of the shadow, even though the shadow is created by the old man. Quote, Let us at last admit it. Death is born with us. And I am afraid. One thing I found really interesting about Conrad Aiken's life is that he lived a sort of hero's journey. If you know anything about Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces, you know about something now referred to as a story circle, which has been made famous by writer and producer Dan Harmon. If you think back to The Lord of the Rings, readers follow Frodo as he leaves the Shire, goes on his grand adventure, and returns home, just like Conrad Aiken did. He spent his first 11 years in Savannah, and his last 11 years there, too. Not only did Conrad return home to Savannah to die where it all began, he chose to live in the house next door to his childhood home, where his parents died. So creepy, right? In essence, he was the old man, and the house, and all its awful memories, was the shadow. If you go to Savannah, Storytellers will tell you how often Conrad Aiken went to visit his parents' grave in Bonaventure Cemetery. And that can seem sort of morbid to some, but for anyone who's ever visited Bonaventure Cemetery, it's really not. Bonaventure is one of the most peaceful places, with its massive oaks and arms filled with Spanish moss stretched across the pathways, sea wind in your hair, and nothing but the noise of nature surrounding you. I have to say, it's one of the most beautiful places in the South. The legend goes that once while he was visiting his parents, he saw a ship named the Cosmos Mariner. Curious about the name and the destination of the boat, Conrad looked in the papers to see if he could find where the ship was going, but it remained a mystery. Instead of a typical tombstone, Conrad had his epitaph written on a bench, placed next to his parents' grave. Inscribed are the words, Cosmos Mariner, Destination Unknown. While I was researching Conrad Aiken, I just felt sad. Sad because in my own literature books that I've had since college, Aiken is nowhere to be found. In fact, if it weren't for a tour I took in Savannah, I might not have known who Conrad Aiken was. And that's saying something from a literature graduate. I admired how much of an advocate he was for Emily Dickinson's work, helping her become known and recognized for her brilliance. 
This episode is my own way of trying to acknowledge him. How could someone who won so many awards be forgotten? Worse still, how could he not have been more known in his own lifetime? In a world where entertainment reigns, and people expect more and more for free, Conrad Aiken experienced, then, what so many writers feel today. Their skills and talents thrown to the wayside, buried in critical reviews, rejection letters, and dwindling bank accounts. But despite all the negativity and darkness surrounding his life and career, he says on his epitaph, Give my love to the world. Through his work, he is still sending his love to the world, even though it never loved him back. Fabled was produced by me, Vanessa K. Eccles, with music by Kevin McLeod. I encourage you to celebrate National Poetry Month by sharing your favorite poem on social media, and perhaps even reading a few by Mr. Aiken. Be sure to tag me at Fable Collective so I can share too. Many thanks to Kamara, Katie, and Ronnie for supporting the show through Patreon this week. I'm so humbled and grateful for your kindness and generosity. For a monthly contribution of only a dollar, you can access bonus episodes and other content. Though it's free to listen to podcasts, there are lots of costs involved in producing them. If you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash fablecollective. Also, just a friendly reminder that you can snag the free audiobook of Love and Legend on the website, fablecollective.com. If you'd like to know more about Conrad Aiken, see the show notes on our website. As always, thank you for listening. <laughs>